From CPR News, this is Colorado Matters. Ballots for the November election go out in just under two months. How the key races and issues are shaping up from abortion access. I don't see this being the top-level issue that I think a lot of Democrats are making it out to be. To the balance of power. I think the notion of this big Republican wave is now in question. Then, a health condition meant she could no longer wear heels, so Boulder entrepreneur Leontine Ashmore started her own line. It was a challenge, especially talking to manufacturers. It's an alien concept. Like, are you sure? Who's going to want that shoe? And I got prototypes with heels on them. Her brand, Lizbeth Joe, is named for her mother, who instilled both a sense of fashion and service. Hi, I'm Dan Brooks, and I donated my car to CPR. The car I donated was a 1996 Ford Explorer that my son had been driving. When he went off to college, he didn't need the car, and it was old enough and duct taped together enough that the rest of us in the family didn't feel safe driving it, and it was time to give it to a good cause. All I had to do was fill out a form online. Didn't matter if the side door didn't open or the bumper was falling off. Somebody gave me a call, and they came and picked it up. Donate your car. It's easy at CPR.org. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC. I'm Ryan Warner. Summer vacations are over, school's back, Labor Day's just around the corner. And that is when political watchers say voters really start paying attention to elections. So it's time to check in with our political analysts. Sarah Hagedorn is an associate professor of political science at the University of Colorado, Colorado Springs. Welcome back, Professor. Thank you, Ryan. Happy to be with you this morning. Eric Sonderman is a columnist and former public policy consultant. Hi, Eric. Hi, Ryan. Always good to chat. We'll get to some higher profile races in a bit, but there is a big story out of the legislature these days where Republican state senator Kevin Priola switched to the Democratic Party. Priola said he couldn't live in a party that has failed to denounce the January 6th insurrection that still has members denying the results of the 2020 election. He also invoked climate change. Sarah, this is one legislative seat. What are the broader implications here, if any? I think the broader implications of this are primarily Colorado Senate focused. And before Senator Priola announced he was going to switch, the Senate Republicans were focused on retaking three seats Um, Now they need four seats to flip to take control of the chamber. So I think their work is a little bit trickier, but they always had to account for Senator Priola's vote anyway. So I think even in that situation, it's not that big of an implication. You know, most of these party switches don't have big effects. Um, We can look long ago, 20 years ago, to Senator Jim Jeffords of Vermont, switching parties in May of 2001, which changed control of the entire U.S. Senate. But normally these are smaller issues. In Colorado, we have an interesting history with this, with Senator Nighthorse Campbell switching a Democrat to a Republican in 1995. But overall, I don't think we're going to see a huge huge effects from this. Um, Senator Priola voted with the Democratic Party in the state Senate a majority of the time anyway. So I don't see this having a lot of trickle-down effects. As a game-changer in that respect. 
Uh, okay, Priola also represents parts of Aurora, also Brighton, Bennett, Strasbourg, Thornton. Uh, just a few days after his announcement of the party switch from Republican to Democrat, there was a recall effort launched against him. Uh, this is certainly a technique that Republicans have used in the past, recalls, with varying success. Eric, do you see this working in Priola's case? I think it's a heavy lift. I think it is a long shot. I think, Ryan, it is utterly predictable that some folks would launch a recall effort. They feel scorned. Uh, but most voters out there, the typical voter out there has disdain for both political parties. So the fact that someone as an act of conscience, and I take Kevin Priola at face value, and I think this was an act of conscience, I think most voters are inclined to reward that instead of punish that. Uh, the numbers to get a recall on the ballot are very formidable, 18,000 some odd valid signatures in a state senate district, which means you probably need 25 or 27,000 signatures to uh, account for invalid ones. As I mentioned, I think it is a very heavy lift, predictable, but not something that is going to come to fruition. But also an investment that the GOP and its related groups are making in a midterm election year, you know, when their energies are certainly needed elsewhere as well. Very good point. We'll see how much money and how much energy ultimately gets expended on this. It's one thing to have a press conference, put out a press release, maybe even put together a skeletal website. It's another thing to really fund an effort, hit the streets and, and collect these signatures. And uh, one does not necessarily follow the other. Let's look at the big issues that Priola raised. The January 6th insurrection, election denial. That brings to mind an NBC poll from just a few days ago that showed threats to democracy rising as the top issue for voters, slightly ahead of the cost of living in the economy, which, you know, had been really dominating the conversation. 57% of those polled said the investigations into former President Trump should continue. Uh, Sarah, is it your sense that the future of democracy is tops with Colorado voters as well? And who might that hurt or help in the midterms? So I want to talk about this poll for a minute. I thought it was fascinating. So 21% of the respondents polled said threat to democracy was their top issue, with 16% saying cost of living and 14% saying jobs and the economy. I went into the poll results because I'm a political scientist, and that's important <laughs> if we do. And in the May poll, Cost of living came at 22%, jobs in the economy at 18, and they asked the question differently in May. They said voting rights or election integrity, and that came in at 12%. So when you ask the question differently of respondents, threat to democracy, that's a little bit more fearful. You're going to get a little bit more attention. Hmm. And what you're getting with that is both of those who think the January 6th investigations need to continue, we need to look more into former President Trump, it also is picking those up on the right that think our election was fraudulent in 2020. So it's picking up both sides of that issue. Oh. Do I think that's going to transfer over to Colorado voters? I really don't. And I'm looking at the primary election results to see, particularly on the Republican side, when those pro-Trump candidates did not win. So I don't think it's going to have as big of an effect here in Colorado in November. And I think when you ask a question with a little bit more of a fear factor, 
you're going to get a different answer like the NBC poll did. Although it's not as if election denialism has been snuffed out. There are candidates who advanced in the primary, and Heidi Ganahl has famously picked a running mate as governor uh, who has uh, denied the results of the 2020 election. So I know that the general sense, Eric Sonderman, is that the primaries were a way of weeding out perhaps extremist or Trumpist candidates. Uh, but, you know, there, there's more nuance in there. I think there is more nuance. I think you talk about Danny Moore, the Republican candidate for lieutenant governor. Let's not forget that Lauren Boebert is still the nominee over on the Western Slope in that congressional district and is still largely the, the face of the Colorado Republican Party. By and large, Colorado Republicans in the primary picked a grown-up, responsible, adult, mature ticket. But all politics these days, Ryan, have become nationalized. Mm. And I do think even this mature ticket that is running in Colorado gets tarnished by Republicans elsewhere. It gets tarnished by the slate of Republicans in Arizona, which is completely a slate of election deniers. It gets tarnished by Herschel Walker and other nominees in other parts of the country who are clearly not ready for prime time. There has been a shift that has happened, which is certainly the story here as we sit at the the very end of August. We'll see if it remains the story two months from now. But instead of crime, inflation, supply chain, all those issues that seem to be working for the Republicans, as well as uh, what looked like some degree of ineptness on the president's part, a lot of those have been muted. And instead, Trump's reinvention or resurfacing or constant presence, the January 6th hearing, the victories of election deniers in other Republican primaries around the country, all of those have come to the fore. And I think the notion of this big Republican wave is now in question. We'll see. We have two months or a little more to go. But that wave uh, looks like a little more of a ripple now than a, than, a, than a big tidal wave. Now, you did invoke there the sitting president, so Joe Biden, and uh, how he, if elections are nationalized, how he was affecting Democrats. It makes me think of his rather consequential step to forgive student loan debt. And Sarah Hagedorn, I am curious, you are both a political scientist and an educator. So I wonder what you make of that debt cancellation. Is that a move by a president whose numbers were in the gutter? So, Ryan, I think that's a really good question. I think a lot of politicians and candidates are asking themselves the same question. Was this a campaign promise? Absolutely. So could we see it a move of a sitting president who made a campaign promise two years ago to deal with student loan debt. Sure. Do I think the timing (laughs) is directly tied to the midterms? Sure. Did the White House see his approval numbers bump up in the last two weeks since we last spoke a month ago? Yes. I think they probably thought this was the right time to release this proposal. Is this something that those who have student loan debt are going to see before November. No, um, this is not a program that they're going to see immediately. Hmm. So I think it's an announcement to try to bump up both the sitting president and Democrats around the country. You're listening to Colorado Matters from CPR News. I'm Ryan Warner, and we check in once a month prior to the midterm elections with 
some political watchers in this state. And uh, so Sarah Hagedorn joins us, Associate Professor of Political Science at the University of Colorado, Colorado Springs, and columnist and former public policy consultant Eric Sonderman. Uh, Let's talk just a little bit about the U.S. Senate race now. Uh, That is incumbent Democrat Michael Bennett trying to hold on to his seat against Republican Joe O'Day. The Cook Political Report has moved that race from likely Democrat to lean Democrat. That is, they see a slightly better chance for the Republican in that race. How does that contrast with what you just said, Uh, Eric Sonderman? Well, I think that move on the part of the Cook Political Report, uh, the uh, reclassification of the race came a few weeks ago, so probably a little bit before the potential wave seems to have been muted. Again, these things ebb and flow over the course of the fall, and we'll see where it is in October, which is infinitely more uh, important than where it is in August. I think a lean... Partly because that's when ballots go out in Colorado. We talk about Election Day almost quaintly now in this state. Election Day is about three weeks before the day the votes are counted. You're absolutely right. Election Day these days is when you receive your ballot in the mail and have that opportunity Opportunity. Uh, I think the lean Democratic classification is, is an accurate description of where this race is at. Uh, the Bennett seat is not going to be the first Democratic seat to flip. If it is a big Republican year, if they are able to redevelop that kind of a tsunami, there will be other seats that uh, around the country. I'm thinking of New Hampshire, Nevada, and others that flip before the Bennett seat flips. But uh, Bennett could be vulnerable to that kind of wave. Last note, Joe O'Day, the Republican candidate, seems to me to be running a very interesting, somewhat novel campaign. In an era, as Sarah Hagedorn, I'm sure, will attest, where so much politics is about motivating your base and feeding red meat to your base, O'Day is really not doing that. He's run largely to the middle. He is trying to set himself up as the consummate moderate, which is a very interesting strategy. It's probably the only viable strategy in an increasingly democratic state like Colorado. But we'll see if it's enough and we'll see if he's able to pull it off. Anything you'd like to add, Professor? I just agree with Eric completely. I think he is running a really interesting, pretty good race um, in a state with 45% of our registered voters being unaffiliated. I, I think that's a smart move. I mean, it's fascinating because uh, abortion is really emerging as a key issue in this Senate race. Michael Bennett released his first ad against O'Day, and it is all about abortion. O'Day has said the Supreme Court decision overturning Roe v. Wade was wrong. He said he'd outlaw abortions after 20 weeks, except in the cases of rape, incest, or the mother's health. Uh, That is more moderate than a lot of Republicans. But at the same time, he says a new state law that codifies the right to abortion goes too far. Uh, And he has said that he would have voted for all of President Trump's Supreme Court nominees had he been in the Senate at the time. That is, you've used the term interesting, that is an interesting walk to walk, Eric Sonderman. It's the tightest of tightropes. But it is, as Sarah just indicated, probably the only viable strategy for a Republican in a state like Colorado. Obviously, if you're a Democratic candidate, if you're the incumbent Michael Bennett, you're going to go all in as the ultimate pro-choicer right up until the moment of birth. 
O'Day is trying to walk, as I indicated, a very thin tightrope here as a moderate, not uh, ardent pro-lifer, not someone out of step with a pro-choice state. At his core, the O'Day position is really not that far away from where most voters are, which is very pro-choice early in pregnancies and with increasing reservations as pregnancies go on and get into the very final months. But Bennett and Bennett's ad is really targeted not so much at Joe O'Day as it is as the prototypical pro-life Republican, which really O'Day is not. Sarah, there have been several state-level elections across the country over the last several weeks, certainly Kansas among them. Uh, What insight do they give to you on how abortion might impact the midterms? So I'm just looking recently at what happened in maybe New York and Florida. So looking at that Florida race where Christ beat Fried and Fried talked about how abortion was going to be her top issue. She was going to talk about it every day, and she lost. We look at Congressman Nadler beating Congresswoman Maloney in New York. Their districts were drawn together. They're longtime friends. Congresswoman Maloney said that as a woman, she was going to be way better placed to talk about abortion. She lost. I don't see this being the top-level issue that I think a lot of Democrats are making it out to be. Hmm. Here in Colorado, after that first Bennett ad that aired about abortion, it's starting to sound a little bit eerily similar to 2014 and Senator Udall trying to make that race all about birth control against Congressman Gardner. This was obviously a race that uh, Gardner won and that Udall lost. Just briefly, speaking of interesting lines to walk, on student loan forgiveness, which we've already discussed, Bennett issued a statement saying, in part, while immediate relief to families is important, one-time debt cancellation does not solve the underlying problem. Uh, That feels like a tightrope, too, Eric Sonderman. Absolutely. It was anything other than a ringing endorsement of the presidential announcement, the presidential order. Bennett is, was very consciously trying to walk away or back away from that, have his cake and eat it too, be generally supportive of the notion of student debt relief, but certainly not all on board with the, the Biden play. O'Day, on the other hand, has called the plan, the student loan forgiveness, unbelievable and says it penalizes people who have already paid off their student loans. Let us uh, meditate just for a moment before we go on the governor's race. We uh, invoked Heidi Ganahl and her running mate earlier. Uh, Jared Polis is loath, it seems, to open his mouth and not have the words saving people money come out of it. Uh, That is his drumbeat. Uh, Do you feel like what you are seeing from the gubernatorial campaigns matches what your sense is that voters want to talk about and what they care about at this point? Professor? You know, you're right. So we haven't heard that much from candidate Polis yet. He's still being governor Polis. So I don't think he's really kicked into full campaign mode. Now that we're getting out of August and when people start tuning back into politics and what's going on, I think we're going to see more from Governor Polis, probably on the economy. I think he can play that to his strengths. I think Regent Ganell is going to start talking about crime, housing costs, um, fentanyl, the things she's been talking about. And looking at that NBC poll, I think that kind of matches with what Colorado voters are interested in. 
Eric, before we go, your comments? I don't think the race is really engaged yet, to be honest with you, Ryan. I don't think Heidi Ganahl at this point has really forced or compelled Jared Polis to step out of his comfort zone. I think Polis, there's a high level of cynicism to the Polis strategy right now, but it is effective. It is working, as you indicated in your question, it multiple times a day. There are press releases about saving people money, quote unquote, on this, that, and the other the governor's race was always going to be the heaviest lift for Republicans this fall. Ganahl has made misstep after misstep. If the tide is turning a little bit away from a Republican wave, it makes her a lot even harder. Uh, Polis is in a very comfortable position as we sit here in late August. Thanks to you both. Thank you, Ryan. Thanks, Ryan. Eric Sonderman is a columnist and former public policy consultant. Sarah Hagedorn is an associate professor of political science at the University of Colorado, Colorado Springs. We are checking in monthly in the run-up to Election Day. We'll be right back with Coloradans' inflation hacks. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC. Music has this special ability to elevate the stories we tell make you feel seen, help you to understand someone else's experience. That's part of the joy of listening to music and exactly what we're exploring in the CPR podcast, Music Blocks. Five-minute musical explorations to help inspire great conversations about music in classrooms and during family time. Season two of the award-winning podcast, Music Blocks, is all about the stories of our lives. Find it wherever you listen. It's Colorado Matters from CPR News. I'm Ryan Warner. There's probably something you've paid for recently that left you longing for the days when it cost less, even if those days were only months ago. With inflation hitting a 40-year high this summer, we talked with Coloradans about how they're coping. CPR's Will Cornelius kicks things off. There's one area where inflation hits hard that we pretty much feel every day. Groceries? And more specifically, food because we have to eat. The prices of many common foods have increased substantially. Outside of Walmart in Thornton, north of Denver, Julie Alvarado carries a couple of bags of groceries back to her car. She says that she's changed some eating and drinking habits of hers. I don't buy gallons of milk anymore. I try to get by if, you know, I hate to say this, but put powdered milk inside and, you know, kind of water it and make it go farther add water to my orange juice. I mean, it's down from two eggs to an egg. I mean, just that kind of thing. On average, the price of eggs has gone up by 38% since right before the pandemic. That's according to the Consumer Price Index. And various factors have caused that, like labor shortages, more expensive chicken feed, and the outbreak of bird flu. Supply chain disruptions are a key reason why many foods and products have gone up in price. In Colorado Springs, Ronnie Hanzel says it's been hard to afford what she usually buys for her daughters and her mother. We're not getting the whole grains that we prefer because they're more expensive or the organic foods. We're going more canned than uh, fresh. I mean, we do what we can. Otherwise, we hit food banks, things like that. Hanzel also says she's noticed the size and quantity of fruits and vegetables she buys seems to have gone down. For more reaction from shoppers, Here's my colleague Eli Janes of KRCC. Food prices across the country have shot up more than 12% over the last year, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. And people aren't just changing what they're buying, but also where. At a King Supers in Colorado Springs, Mark Howard left the store with just a few items. 
Like many, he's trying to find ways to make his money go a little further. Well, like, I won't go to this store anymore. It's too expensive. I'd rather go to Walmart. It's cheaper. So and how are you see. How are you changing how you shop? Uh, the Ark and the Dollar Store are a great place now. I go there constantly. Dollar Tree, I'll go there just for little stuff like bread because it's 99 cents and here it's $1.29. Right. Not much of a difference, but it does help. High prices are even driving some away from the grocery store. That includes Renee Lacey. It's cheaper to go to Jimmy John's, truly. We eat out a lot more actually because it's cheaper to go out for two people than to buy groceries. Of course, to get to that restaurant or grocery store, most people drive. With more on that, here's KRCC's Will Taylor. Something that seems to be on every shopper's mind is... The price of gas is awful. Oh, gas. Fuel, hello. Gas, of course. Oh yeah, gas. In Colorado, the average price of gas hit a record high back in June. That's caused a lot of people to rethink how much they drive. Renee Lacey also told us she recently canceled the road trip she had planned, and that some of her neighbors have stopped driving altogether. I know our neighbors, they're biking everywhere now, so they struggle more. At the Walmart in Thornton, Brianna Early pushes a cart of groceries. It's full of stuff like food and diapers. She's also got her toddler in the cart while carrying her baby, too. Early says she's using food stamps, and... I have to borrow money for gas to get to work sometimes or to take him to and from the babysitter. Gas prices have fallen a bit recently. According to AAA, the average price of a gallon of regular is around $4.40. That's up about 80 cents compared to a year ago. Outside a Walmart neighborhood market in Colorado Springs, Denise Locke says she's trying to stay positive, even though she's paying more at the pump. I try not to complain at the gas pump because I'm like, what good is it going to do me? It's just going to make me mad for the rest of my day. The reality is energy and food prices are very volatile, especially when inflation is high. And that means it's hard for anyone to predict what comes next. I'm Will Taylor, KRCC News. And Colorado Matters continues in the next half hour with a bolder entrepreneur who's hitting her stride. I'm Ryan Warner, and you're with CPR News and KRCC. If you want to name a mountain in Colorado, where do you start? What is the state's most iconic food? Why does Pena Boulevard have a bike lane? And does anyone use it? These are the kinds of Colorado questions we've gotten and answered in the past. I'm Corey Jones from the CPR Newsroom, and we want to hear from you, too. Ask your question at CPR.org slash Colorado Wonders and help us all discover more about our state of wonders. It's Colorado Matters from CPR News. I'm Ryan Warner, and let's take a stroll with an entrepreneur who is just getting her footing when the pandemic hit. Leontine, what do you say we go for a walk? Let's do it. It's a lovely day. A lovely day, especially in the shade. Yes, it's so sunny. Leontine Ashmore is the founder of Lizbeth Joe, a shoe brand based in Boulder that bills itself as the most fashionable minimalist shoes. She came to our attention because August is Black Business Month. Tell me about the boots you're wearing. These are not just your shoes, they're your shoes. Yes, these are called barefoot shoes. They're zero drop. Zero uh, drop, I don't know yeah, what that means. That means it's, it doesn't have a heel at oh, the back. Okay. So it's all on one level. So it feels like you're walking barefoot. And it also has a flexible thin sole that allows you to feel the ground because we have 200,000 nerves in our feet and those nerves send sensory information to our brain. So this is a really good 
biomechanic feedback. Ah, you're literally in touch with the sidewalk at this point. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you developed these shoes in part because of your own health issues, right? Yes, that's correct. I have two kids and during my pregnancies, I developed diastasis recti. Diastasis recti? What does that mean? Mm -hmm. It is the separation of the abs. Um, so when I was pregnant, my, I guess from my stomach was just expanding, obviously growing the baby, but that also impacted my abs. With that condition, you get a really weak core. Mm. And so I had terrible back pain uh, from when I woke up until I got to bed. It was just constant. And how did it occur to you to think about what was on your feet? Oh, so I started to do some targeted exercise programs. You'd exercise for 20 minutes a day. Uh -huh. And they advised the trainers that you need to try barefoot shoes because when you're walking throughout the day, that's what's more important than just the 20 minutes a day. And that's how Lizbeth Joe was born. Yes. Did you think that you'd ever be in the shoe business? <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> yeah, so what happened was that when I was doing this program, it was attached to uh, Facebook groups. And a lot of women had also the same problem I had, which was I wanted to wear barefoot shoes, but I couldn't find any cute barefoot shoes or professional looking barefoot shoes to wear to work. Oh, I'm so glad you said this. I have one pair of barefoot running shoes. They're the kind that are almost like gloves for your feet. The five finger. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, they're fine in a gym, I guess, but I wouldn't be caught dead in them at a party, you know? No, no, or even in a, in a meeting, right? Or at a job interview. So the boots you're wearing, they, they look kind of like Chelsea boots. That's what I was gonna say, it's like your classic Chelsea boots. So it's kind of like, of course, everybody wants a pair of Chelsea boots in their wardrobe, but just make it barefoot. Uh-huh, make it barefoot. Now, I remember this being all the rage a couple of years ago to get low-profile shoes. And, you know, I bought in, but okay. I always wondered if it was a little bit of a gimmick. Do you face that question? Uh, no, I don't, mostly because the people in my circle are converted people already. So uh -huh. I am... You're not like, preaching. Exactly. Maybe to the choir. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Suffice it to say, the pandemic hit, mm -hmm. and it was some pretty terrible timing for you as an entrepreneur, it was. wasn't it? It was. It was terrible timing. <laughs> Talk to me about that. Uh, well, I started my business by doing a crowdfunding. So I crowdfunded in the beginning of 2019. Okay. So in about April time, I had finished. And then the shoes didn't arrive until December 2019. <laughs> and then in the first two months of 2020, I hadn't actually launched my website. I was too busy fulfilling pre-orders. So March 2020 hit, and that's when I actually opened my online site to sell. <laughs> oh, right when the virus hit Colorado, basically. Oh, mm -hmm. did you think you were cursed? <laughs> no, that's not how you react to things. N not anymore. <laughs> no, no. It was just an opportunity for me to learn more about being an entrepreneur and take it slowly. What was the biggest obstacle, do you think? Uh, well, I'm still facing that obstacle, to be honest. The biggest obstacle has been production. The supply chain has just been a nightmare. Didn't you have to change suppliers at one point? I did, yes. So I changed suppliers, yeah, for 2021, yeah. From where to where? From Indonesia to Mexico. 
wow, that's not a small change geographically. And why was that? Why did Indonesia become untenable during the pandemic? Well, they were having a lot of closures in their factory because of the pandemic, which I still face in Mexico, to be honest, which is when one person working tests positive, then the whole factory had to close. Mm. I also wonder if the shipping issue, the ports issue oh, was a problem. Yes. yes, that was. So I, I managed to avoid that, you know, by moving to Mexico. To Mexico. Yes. Uh-huh. Who's Lizbeth Joe? It's not your name. No, it's not. It's from my mom's name. So her name was Elizabeth Joe, and I just shortened it to Elizabeth. <laughs> and so it's an ode to her. Yes, it is. She's passed now, but she's, you know, she's still part of my life. She's an inspiration to me. Um, she was a single mother of five kids. And, you know, whenever she saw something that you liked, she could just create it with no pattern. Um, and she was a very helpful person. So Lisbeth Jo also gives to Kiva as part of her legacy in a way. And Kiva helps, well, entrepreneurs in developing places, correct? Yes, it does. Yeah. Yes. So uh, do you see this as a version of helping people like yourself? It is. Initially, uh, it was a much, much bigger dream that I had to scale down. So I'm originally from Zimbabwe. Yep. And I wanted to actually have a factory in Zimbabwe to create jobs there. But then the consultant I was working with at the time said, Leontine, manufacturing doesn't work that way anymore. Everything is, you know, automated. You won't actually create that many jobs. Fascinating. <laughs> yes. And then I was like, anyway, I don't have the capital, but I wanted to start Lisbeth Joe with still the goal of helping. Yes. So I thought of Kiva. And this was, what, a value that your mother instilled in you? I guess so, yes. She's always been a giver. Even when we sometimes had to go without, she would give the money to someone else when she felt needed it more than us. Isn't it fascinating when sometimes the people with the least give the most? Yes. I'm always moved by that. <laughs> and just to add, some of the shoes are named after places you've oh, lived. Right, the yeah. London, the Harare. Mm-hmm. So, your goal was to create a low-profile shoe mm -hmm. that looked cute. I think those were your words. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Was that a challenge? It was a challenge, especially talking to manufacturers, because it's, it's an alien concept. Like, are you sure? Who's going to want that shoe? And I got prototypes with heels on them, because... <laughs> they truly did not understand the idea. No. Huh. Because you have to make the mold from scratch, and then you're just going to someone who's never done it before and it's just like, what, what do you mean a barefoot shoe? <laughs> you're listening to Colorado Matters from CPR News. I'm Ryan Warner and we are taking a stroll with the founder of the Boulder-based shoe company, Lizbeth Joe. That's Leontine Ashmore. She came to our attention because August is Black Business Month. So how many pair of shoes have you sold to this date? To this date, so my first run was in 2019 and I sold about 300 pairs through crowdfunding uh -huh. and I only purchased 650 at that time and then I sold the rest the next year and then I had this whole big COVID year where I couldn't get a manufacturer or get the stock and then so in 2021 I got my second production run. Mm. Which also is, delayed? 
also delayed. Uh -huh. I got it in August and it was 378 pairs instead of a thousand pairs. <laughs> they <laughs> so just was, couldn't make that many. They had so many rejects. Oh. Yeah. I saw those too. And those are gone? Yeah. Okay. So you knew going into this that there was the market. You'd begun to see that because of the social communities you were in yes. around this condition. And do you think that there's a place for other brands doing this? I mean, do you see this as the next corner of the shoe market? Mm -hmm. I feel that, they, well, there are other brands already doing it. We just need to get bigger, I guess, <laughs> and uh -huh. louder. Um, so I, I am part of this group called the Healthy Feet Alliance. And it's Healthy a, Feet Alliance. Yes. Okay. And we're a small, you know, group comprised of some barefoot shoe companies. And yeah, I think it's going to be big one day. What do you think your advice would be to someone who's getting started? What, mm -hmm. what What's a pitfall that you could help them avoid? I would say, um, so I'm an introvert as well. Hmm. And so I didn't go out to people and establish myself as an expert in the field before I started the shoe brand. So I think be the go-to person, speak to people, be out there in social media and just talk about your passion, create the tribe before you actually create the business. Oh, interesting. You've done that to some extent online, of course, but there needed mm -hmm. to be even more networking, I hear exactly. you say. Exactly, yeah. As I mentioned, August is Black Business Month. Does that mean anything to you as a black business owner? Oh, I think it's fantastic to I get, you know, some kind of spotlight on me. I do wish it was all year round. <laughs> well, sure. <laughs> Have you faced challenges as a woman of color in this business? Uh, I feel like the challenges are like capital, hmm. number one, obviously. Number two is like not being invited to a table that you don't even know exists. <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense. <laughs> well, just that you had a pretty steep learning curve. Well, I feel like sometimes there's so many opportunities available, but nobody thinks like, let's pull her, let's pull that business in. Mm. So you don't even know the table exists for you to advocate for yourself until you hear somebody else like much, much later on, you're like, oh, you're doing that. I could have been on that ages ago, huh. but I didn't even get pulled into it or didn't even know it existed. How, how can that be avoided, do you think? Um, I I'm guess people sure. need to be open-minded. Uh, business, other business owners need to be open-minded about black businesses uh -huh. and make sure they think about black businesses when opportunities arise. Leontine, what is something in the shoe business you didn't expect to have to think about or worry about? I guess the factory that was making the shoe boxes burning. The shoe boxes? <laughs> Wait, the factory that made the shoe boxes burned? The shoe boxes for Lisbeth Joe burnt. Where was that? That was with Mexico, yeah. That was in, in Mexico? In August in 2021, yeah. And then you lost a bunch of boxes. How many boxes? Uh, a thousand boxes, so I had to figure out how are we going to get the shoes to me? Because if they had tried to get another supplier to make my exact specification for the boxes, it was going to delay the shoes by another seven months. 
Oh gosh, and you didn't want any more delays. So in a moment like that, I don't know, you get a call or an email that says, mm -hmm. the shoebox factory has burned to the ground. Do you panic? What's your nature at that point? A disbelief, because it's, it's just shock. Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> you know? And so how quickly do you get to trying to solve it? And how much time do you spend like I would, just freaking out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I didn't spend too much time freaking out, actually. I just needed to solve the problem, which was get the shoes to me. So it took me about a day. <laughs> oh. Yeah. So what was the solution? Well, I asked them, what are you going to do with your other customers? Because I'm not your only other customer. That lost boxes. Yeah, and needs them. Yes. Yeah. And they said, oh, we've got craft boxes that we can get, you know, pretty good time, but they just won't have the design you wanted because it's a craft box. And then I, was, I say, fine, that makes sense. And then after the call, I thought, actually, this is a really good idea because the craft boxes are made from recycled materials and they use less ink. So it's a much better you know, business move as well, for the, and better for the environment. It's so funny how the hiccups in business, something that presumably could seem so small becomes so big, and just the surprises that might be waiting around the corner, you know? Yeah, and leads to growth. And it leads to growth. Mm -hmm. Whose growth? Your growth? Yeah, I've grown a lot being a business owner, but also the business growth, yeah. Huh. Well, it's been a pleasure to stroll with you. How are your feet feeling? Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> How are yours feeling, Ryan? I'm not wearing your shoes, <laughs> although I did wear my favorite pair of shoes just to impress you. <laughs> but I'm feeling quite comfortable myself. Thanks for chatting with me. Well, thanks for having me. This was such a pleasure. Leontine Ashmore is the founder of the Boulder-based shoe company, Lizbeth Joe. And this is Colorado Matters from CPR News. Growing up, May Ortega thought that she had a pretty good idea of who she was. But when she became a journalist, she realized that to report on other people, she had to figure out her own story. In first grade, we noticed that everything was in English. So sometimes like they would slap the back of your hand with rulers if you were speaking Spanish when they would tell you not to. You can find the newest episode of Quien Are We? everywhere you listen to podcasts. You're with Colorado Matters from CPR News. I'm Ryan Warner. And now a life lesson from Bam Gordon. You should not adopt a dog with somebody you just started dating. Gordon says she first learned that firsthand and wrote a song about it.
This is from the track Stay Together for the Dog by Gordon's band People Like Me. They're one of the Colorado acts you can hear this month on our sister station, Indy 1023. Indy's Alicia Sweeney spoke with Nathan Heffel about a few of the local highlights. You have some R&B music today, as well as a singer-songwriter, but first, tell us about this group, People Like Me. Well, they're from Denver, Mm -hmm. and this is a band that acknowledges the fact that adulthood is full of strange and difficult times. When the times get tough, they turn to their favorite music to help them get through it, so they hope that their own music can do the same for others. Which brings us back to that song, Stay Together for the Dog. I mean, at first, I found the song title kind of funny, but the lyrics, they get pretty real. Right? The band says that there's this deeper meaning, and that is it's never too late to walk away from a relationship, especially if you don't feel safe physically or emotionally. You know, whether it's adopting a dog or maybe moving in together, these milestones and these investments can sometimes add pressure to stay in a toxic relationship. But the band says the most important thing is having loving and supportive people in your life. And the song really kicks into gear after that kind of softer intro we heard earlier. Absolutely. And People Like Me says their music is upbeat with this power pop and rock sound. Their songs do have some optimism. And when you look at their musical inspirations, they also love the playful and even self-deprecating lyrics of bands like Weezer. I mean, who doesn't love a good Weezer lyric? Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Alicia, let's switch up genres now. Who else you got? Adele Mitchell. Originally from Hawaii, he's been living in Colorado for a while. He's also a dancer and a model, and he's big into old school R&B. He loves hip hop, and his first studio album came out this summer. It's called Pink Lemonade, and this is the track Focus On Me. Let me hit that red light one time. Just pause in the game right now. Whatever happens to I'm sorry is in trouble now. Music from Adele Mitchell. That vibe, mm, so smooth. Now, one thing I noticed is he calls his music anti-pop. Is that really a thing? What does that even mean? Anti-pop is a thing, and by definition, it's the opposite of pop. So for music, we know pop is energetic, happy, songs about how life is going so good or that things will inevitably have a happy ending. Well, anti-pop is the response. It has the ingredients of a pop song, like those good vibes, but melancholy vocals and sonically things can be slowed down as opposed to upbeat. And what I'm looking forward to from Adele is that he says he's focused on crafting a new live show for an upcoming tour. And so for those that like anti-pop acts like Lord or Dominic Fike, I think he's going to create a cool in-person experience similar to those. That sounds really intriguing. 
It really does. All right. Up next, we've got a band from Denver called A Place for Owls. And I understand their sound has evolved a bit. Mm. Well, when you listen to their songs from a couple years ago, it's mostly acoustic. But the band now has five members and the music has a bigger feel and is a lot more electric. And to give you a sense, here's the song Airport. That's a place for owls. My goodness, that sound is so full. They're a band from Denver, and they've got more new music on the way. Alicia, when's that coming out? Well, their new record comes out at the end of this month, and the band says straight up they love sad dad bummer rock. (laughs) And, And you can hear their influences like the National and Manchester Orchestra. Uh, when you when you think about sad dad bummer rock and even Phoebe Bridgers. Okay, I am a father, and yes, Phoebe Bridgers, that's uh, a name I hear a lot lately, so I know all about that. And actually, our final musician gets some comparisons to Phoebe Bridgers, and that's Isadora Eden. What else should we know about Isadora? Originally from Massachusetts and started this project up in 2016, and I've been following her for a while. 303 Magazine named her one of its Denver musicians to watch. We've featured her in the past, and we've brought her back into the local 303. She calls her music Fuzz Folk. It's a reverby mix of indie rock and folk, and this song is called Ghosts. Isadora also has a new covers album out that are duets with different Colorado musicians, where she puts her own spin on songs by acts like Counting Crows and Beck. Hmm. And then she's working on a new album that she says will be out next year. Again, that's music from Isadora Eden. And of course, we'll keep an ear out for her new stuff. Thanks, Alicia. Thank you. Alicia Sweeney is the local music director for Colorado Public Radio's Indy 1023. You can find her full list of local 303 acts for this month at cpr.org slash indie. That is Colorado Matters for today, with thanks to my bandmates. Tyler Bender. Carl Bielek. Anthony Cotton. Pete Kramer. Andrea Dukakis. Rachel Estabrook. Michelle Fulcher. Matt Hers. Michael Hughes. Carla Jimenez. Pedro Lumbrano. Patrice Mondragon. Shane Rumsey. Chandra Thomas-Whitfield. And I'm Ryan Warner, with special thanks to Elaine Tassi, This is CPR News and KRCC.